I'm glad that you're here. If you've never been to church before, we won't, I won't talk too long, but maybe longer than you'd like. But we're going to go through and just hear a little bit about what Jesus did because we don't ever want to forget that. The passage of scripture that you're looking up in Psalm 88, it was, it was written by a guy named Haman, and it was actually written 1,000 years before Jesus was, um, before Jesus was, um, uh, was arrested and crucified and before he rose from the grave. Now, as we read this, I'm going to set up uh, one of the events that happened on with Jesus over this weekend. And when I set this up and tell you some of what he experienced, as we read Psalm 88, even though it was written a thousand years before Jesus was here, it, it sounds almost like Jesus wrote it himself. One of the reasons this is like that is because within the book of Psalms, which is a collection of, of over a hundred different songs, that uh, David and Haman and other people wrote. Within that, there are 25 messianic psalms. And what that means is, even though they were written a thousand years before Jesus, they were written about Jesus, they describe Jesus, they talk about the events that Jesus went through, and this one that we're about to read is like that. So Easter, today we're celebrating, this is the day that when they went to the tomb, the tomb was empty, that Jesus was alive again. But rewind a couple days ago, and on Thursday night, Jesus had a, a meal with his disciples. There was 12 of them. Those were the guys who he taught and trained and spent the most of his time with, and uh, he was, they were the first people to know that he was God. And um, he had this meal with them. It was the last supper, and he knew what was about to happen. He knew that he was about to be betrayed. He knew that he would soon be arrested and executed, and he knew, um, honestly, he did know that he would, he would um, three days later, be alive again. He knew all those things, and he knew it was happening. So on the night, they had this meal, and he went to the garden to pray, and there was only 11 disciples who followed him to that garden. And they began to pray, and it would, it begin, to, it would begin to get very late at night. The disciples kept falling asleep, and then, it's, and then it, you can read about it in the Bible that the 12th disciple, Judas, he showed up with a bunch of soldiers, and he had, been, he had been offered money to betray Jesus, to make a false accusation against Jesus, that they would have a reason to arrest him. So Jesus betrays him. They arrest Jesus in the garden. It's high stress. It's high turmoil. Um, uh, one of the guys wants to try to fight them. Uh, Jesus tells them not to. Uh, every, all the other disciples... I mean, eventually, they all take off running. One of the guys, he, he writes about his account, what happened to him in, in that. Someone grabbed him. One of the soldiers grabbed him. He slipped out of his clothes. And, and this is true. He actually ended up running away naked because he was so petrified of being arrested with Jesus. So all this goes on. And they take him in night to the high priest's house. And his name was Caiaphas. And this guy is a big deal. He he runs uh, the Jewish people. He runs Jerusalem, that entire area. Now, they are under the Roman uh, Empire, and so there are Roman officials that govern them, but they're really letting the Jewish people do their own thing. So Jew this Caiaphas, he's a big deal. And archaeologists have actually found his house. So you can go 
right now there's a church there, but you can go to the place where Caiaphas' house was, and they've uncovered this 6,500 6, square foot house. So this guy, obviously he was a big deal, and mo- a lot of the events that you read about Jesus standing before Caiaphas, they happened at this location. This is a place where Peter betrayed, where Peter denied Jesus, that he knew him, and at the place where his house was, like many houses uh, at that time, there are underground water cisterns. So they carved out of the rock these huge holding uh, tanks for water. I mean, they're, they're big. They're like 25 feet deep. Um, you know, they're 10 or 15 feet wide. Because he was wealthy, he had a number of those because uh, there's no running water. And he had a number of those on his property. Well, they discovered at... at it, it, they discovered where he was that one of these water cisterns has been converted, had been converted into a dungeon. And you can see it. You can actually, they've built stairs. You can go down in this water cistern and look up and realize that they stuck him down in here. And so what they did is they brought him at night and they had this unlawful, illegal trial because you couldn't, you couldn't do um, a legal hearing in the middle of the night, but yet they did. They brought all these accusations against him. They had a bunch of people kind of positioned in the crowd to bring more false accusations against him. And they made the decision, all right, he's guilty. We're going to bring him the next morning before the Roman official that he's going to give us permission uh, or he's going to try him now under the Roman Empire. So they've beaten him. They've made fun of him. They've attacked him. And then now they've made their decision. And they, they believe that this dungeon at Caiaphas' house is the place that they held Jesus while they waited for the government offices to open in the morning. So they drop him down in this cistern, you know, 20 to 25 feet deep, and they leave him there till morning comes, and they're going to pull him out in the morning. Now, here Jesus is with, he's been punched in the face, his face throbbing, bloodied, at the bottom of the cistern, in the darkness, all alone, and as we read the psalm we're about to read, um, many uh, of, the, of the brilliant minds in Christianity over, over the centuries believe that this psalm that we're about to read is talking about those moments where Jesus was in the bottom of that cistern waiting to be executed. So I'm going to read in Psalm 88, and I want you to imagine him there in the bottom of this rock, this rock dungeon, all alone. Um, and, um, and so let's read this together. Psalm 88, starting at verse number one. Imagine Jesus writing this. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out to you by day. I come to you at night. Now hear my prayer. Listen to my cry. For my life is full of troubles and death draws near. I am as good as dead, like a strong man with no strength left. They have left me among the dead, and I lie like a corpse in a grave. I have forgotten, cut off from your care. You have thrown me into the lowest pit, into the darkest depths. Your anger weighs me down, and wave after wave you have engulfed me. You have driven my friends away by making me repulsive to them. I am in a trap with no way of escape. My eyes are blinded by my tears. 
Each day I beg for your help, O Lord. I lift my hands to you for mercy. Are your wonderful deeds of any use to the dead? Do the dead rise up and praise you? Can those in the grave declare your unfailing love? Can they proclaim your faithfulness in a place of destruction? Can the darkness speak of your wonderful deeds? Can anyone in the land of forgetfulness talk about your righteousness? O Lord, I cry out to you. I will keep on pleading day by day. O Lord, why do you reject me? Why do you turn your face from me? I have been sick and close to death since my youth. I stand helpless and desperate before your, before your terrors. Your fierce anger has overwhelmed me. Your terrors have paralyzed me. They swirl around me like floodwaters all day long. They have engulfed me completely. You have taken away my companions and loved ones. Darkness is my closest friend. Every psalm in the Bible that you read about, they, a lot of the language is very honest. Um, they talk about the great difficulties that they were facing. And even the, the psalms that seem the most difficult, they always end with hope. It always, at the very end, says, I have all these things against me, but yet I rejoice. And they always kind of turn back to, but I'm going to focus on you, God, except for this one. It ends with desperation. Darkness is my closest friend. Now, the guy who wrote the song, Haman, we don't know what was going on in his life that would, that would cause him to write this song. We can only speculate, but we do know what, was hap what had happened to Jesus. So he lay in the pitch black of a dungeon in just a, a couple hours. He had gone from having a meal with friends to having Judas betray him and make a false accusation against him that he could be arrested. His disciples abandoned him. They took off, running, fearful. And then Peter had denied him. And Peter was in the courtyard where Jesus was being tried when this happened. And one of the things that happened is a young teenage girl said, hey, aren't you one of those guys who were with Jesus? Aren't you one of his disciples? And Peter began to cuss and to swear and say, no, I'm not one of those guys. And we can read in the scriptures that Jesus witnessed that and saw Peter betray him himself. Here he is now, all alone. And he could be feeling what Haman wrote about. Darkness is my closest friend. There's no one out who, who's standing with me and I'm all alone. This psalm foreshadows also the day that he died, this is the, the day that we call Good Friday. So Thursday night he's arrested. By Friday morning, he's standing before Pontius Pilate, the Roman, he's really like a Roman governor, a Roman mayor. And then by, by noon, he is nailed to a cross. And I want to read to you in Matthew chapter 27, the account of his final moments before his death. It says, at noon, darkness fell across the whole land and lasted until three o'clock. I mean, it just became oppressively dark over, over that entire area. 
At about 3 o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Here he, and then minutes after that, he breathed his last breath as he hung on that cross and suffocated to death, he died. And they speculated, they thought he was dead, they, so it was kind of final moments, they took a spear and jabbed it into his side, and blood and water rushed out, and he didn't move, they knew that he was dead, and so they took his body off the tomb, and then his mother who was there, and John the Baptist, that was the guy who ran away naked, he was there, and others, other ladies that were there, and they began to prepare his body for burial, poured spices on it, they wrapped it in grave cloths, but they quickly had to move him from the, there was not time for mourning, it was just preparation, they quickly had to move his body from that hill where he was executed to a tomb nearby where he would be buried, a tomb that was donated by, by a man named Joseph. One of the reasons that they moved so quickly is because the Jewish people celebrate the Sabbath, which is sundown on Friday night and last to uh, sundown on Saturday. Uh, excuse me, yeah, sundown on Saturday, 24 hours. And so they had about 45 minutes to prepare his body, move it off the hill and into the tomb, and get it into the tomb and sealed before Sabbath because it would be illegal for them to prepare his body or to bury him or to move his body um, once Sabbath started. So they're... They're doing this, and they quickly, they get in the tomb, they shun it. And this is why Mary and many other women showed back up on Sunday morning, because now Sabbath is over, and they're bringing now more spices, and they're, what they're going to do is now a proper burial for, she's going to do a proper burial for her son now on Sunday morning. And so they're going to the tomb heartbroken, going to the, they're going to open the tomb up, they're going to pour spices on his body. She's going to have a moment at that time now to say her goodbye, to, um, to mourn, to have closure before they then seal the tomb back up again for the last time. But yet, when they showed up at the tomb that morning, we know Mary, it was, she, they couldn't even believe it. They got there in the tomb was open. The stone had already been rolled away. They go in the tomb. They're, you know, what's going on? Where's the body? And then just a miraculous moment, the angel showed up and said, he's not here. He's alive. And they couldn't even get it. And so they didn't understand. And they, they went back. They told the 11 disciples and the other, um, the other people who were there. And it says in scripture that they, it was, they didn't even believe Mary, the mother of Jesus. They thought it was nonsense. That might be what you're thinking today as we are here and we sing about Jesus who was once dead but is now risen and never died again. You think this is nonsense. Why do people believe this? How could they even believe this? You may even feel sad for us that we believe this. But we're not just here celebrating um, a story that we've read about one time. We're here because this risen king that we're talking about today, we have had our lives changed by him. We've been forgiven by him. We've experienced him. 
Now, we know now this is not something that just historically happened, but it is something that has happened to us. His risen King Jesus has changed our life. And we, we, we hope and what we want is that you will open your heart to him and your life will be changed by him like ours has. That you will know and experience his love in a real way like we have. In that moment, when he was dead and in the tomb and made the decision, I'm going to, I'm going to rise again. I'm not going to be dead anymore. Everything changed forever. And in that moment, when he rose from the grave, every possibility for your life changed forever. Everything in your life can be different, could be different, and prayerfully will be different when you make the decision to trust in him, to believe in him, and to follow him. His death gave way to life. Sin gave way to forgiveness. Pain gave way to healing. Accusation gave way to acquittal. Slavery gave way to freedom. And darkness, which thought it won, gave way to light. There's now hope at the end of this psalm. There's now hope for you, hope for me, hope for humanity, and millions and millions of people over the years have had their lives changed by him. And today could be a day for you. While Jesus, before he died, he began to talk about, he began to talk about what was coming, he began to talk about his life, but no one really understood it. When he talked about his resurrection, they thought he was talking about destroying a physical temple that existed in Jerusalem at that time. And he said, I'll destroy the temple and rebuild it three days later. And they're like, it took years and years to build this. How are you um, going to do this? And they, they never understood it. But now we know, in, in, as we understand his resurrection and what he did, as we go back and read about what he said, now it makes sense. One of the things he said was in John chapter 8. And I'm going to put it on the screen. It's John chapter 8, verse 12. It says, Jesus spoke to the people once more. There's a crowd there. And he said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. And we now, Haman didn't understand this because he didn't, he never met Jesus. He was waiting for the Messiah to come. But now after Easter, after the resurrection, we get what this is. In the darkest moments of our life, in the dar as, as darkness feels like it's maybe overcoming your life, overcoming your family, overcoming the world, we know because of what Jesus did on the cross, darkness has already been defeated. Darkness cannot win. Darkness is subject to the light. That Jesus is. Jesus in the scripture said a couple of things. He said, uh, I'm the light of the world. And here's, well, here's what that means to us. He says, I am the way out of darkness. Whatever you're going on, whatever's going on with you in your life, whatever you're experiencing, whatever you're feeling, whatever you think, these problems, I can't escape them. Uh, you know, I can't get free from them. These addictions, these bondages, you know, uh, all of these things, bad things that keep happening to you over and over again, you think, I can't get free of this. 
I'll never change. Things will never be different. You need to hear what Jesus is saying to you. He's telling you and he's telling us and he's telling the world, I am the way out of darkness. Whatever holds you, whatever haunts you, I've defeated it. If you'll trust me, if you'll, and if you'll believe me, you don't have to walk in darkness anymore. But he goes on to say, then the way out of darkness is to follow me. You don't have to walk in darkness. And then he says, if you follow me, you won't walk in darkness. It has no power over you. It has no grip on you. There's nothing it can do when you recognize who Jesus is and you put your trust in him, you make a decision to follow him. There's nothing darkness can do to, um, to maintain its grip on you anymore. And he will lead you out of that, and lead you out of that, out of those situations. Sometimes if you, if sometimes what happens, some of you people have church background and they've given up on God a long time ago. When they say, this doesn't work, I've prayed, nothing ever changes. Sometimes we realize it is a step-by-step process of following Jesus. If there's darkness, it needs leading, out of us, leading us out of it, and it takes, it takes multiple steps. It takes multiple places. And sometimes, because we're not trusting him, we're not listening, we ended up kind of re- getting, re- getting ourselves retangled up in this. A few weekends ago, I was at my brother-in-law's house, and, and uh, my five-year-old, I was helping... We had gone into the woods, and we were, we were tracking deer and, and moose at, at my brother-in-law's house. And on the way back, back out of the woods, there's thorn bushes everywhere. And uh, I'm kind of going ahead of my two youngest sons and stepping on them. But my five-year-old got ahead of me at one point, and I realized there's thorn bushes right at his face level. And so I said, um, Benton, don't move. And he takes another step, and there's thorn bushes in his winter hat. And I said, Benton, don't move. There's thorn bushes. And he starts to freak out and starts to move a lot. And I'm trying to stop him. And by the time I stop him, a, you know, a second and a half later, he's got, he, he's got scratches all over his face from the thorn bush. And we could do that. And I, I'm going to lead you out of this. I'm going to lead you through this thorn bush. But, you, you know, you take a step um, when you're not following me. And, and, and it could take you a little bit longer. Now we're going to stop, or we're going to untangle you, and we're going to help you, and we're going to heal you. But we, because we don't know how to follow Jesus, and we've never followed Jesus before, sometimes we just take steps that he's, he's calling us into, and we don't really know, or we don't understand, and we end, up, um, we end up there a little bit longer than he wants for us. But it's a promise for us. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness. Those, even though there may be darkness all around you, you're walking with the light. You're walking with him. And then the last thing he says in this is that, he says, I'm the way out of darkness. If you follow me, I'll lead you out. And then he says, not only am I going to lead you out of darkness, very end, he says, I'm going to lead you to life. This is the part about Jesus that is maybe the most misunderstood. Because we think about, we think Jesus is, uh, is old-fashioned, oppressive, um, y- you know, it's, it, there's, there's not, um, uh, there's, there's not a way to enjoy life. 
if you make a decision to follow Jesus, sometimes people say, I'll live my life, and then I'll give my life to Jesus at the very end. That way I can go to heaven. But you're missing out on everything to do that. He has life for us. He says in another part of the Bible that he's come that you may have life, and you may have life abundantly, or that he's come that you may have life, and you may have life to the overflow. So Jesus doesn't come, you have a, a cup full of life, he doesn't come and pour it all out. No, he comes and keeps pouring life into that cup to where it's overflowing. He has good things for you. He has great things for you. He, have, he has more, more life and light for you than you can contain. It'll be overflowing in your life. Your, and then what happens is your praise to God is overflowing. Because you understand him and you know him in a greater, greater way. And as you follow him, and as he leads you to life, what happens is, yeah, you, you won't have to walk in darkness. You won't walk in darkness anymore. But then as you're following him, and you're following where he's leading you, you won't regret where you walk when you follow him. I want to, uh, as, as I come about to, to end the message, I want to share with you a story about someone who used to attend our church um, she's uh, since moved away to another to another state. But I was at an event, and uh, she she was uh, she had been a Christian for a number of decades. So I was at an event, and I was sitting next to her, and so I wanted to hear a story. I'd never I didn't know much too much about her. And I said, "Tell me, um, you know, how did you end up ma- giving your life to Jesus, making a de- decision to follow Him? Did you always grow up in church, or just tell me your story? Tell me your background." So she began to tell me she'd never gone to church. None of her family ever went to church. It wasn't a part. She didn't really know anything about Jesus. It was never anything they talked about or learned about. And um, she had ended up getting married, and her husband was in the military. And he did have a church background. He had been a Christian, but walked away when he went into the military. And, um, and when they dated, they got engaged, they got married. He never talked about church, never talked about Jesus. She didn't know he had any of that in their, in their background. So they, ended up, they eventually get married, and uh, they're living outside of an Air Force base. I don't 100% remember where. Um, and they, they had their first kid. Um, it was a daughter, and she was about two years old. And the lady began to tell me, she said it was Christmas Day. We had a two-year-old daughter, and our daughter ended up having an allergic reaction on Christmas Day and died on Christmas Day. And, I mean, I was just really kind of overwhelmed by, by this. Just imagine that on a Christmas Day, you've got, you've got gifts, you've got joy, you're about to experience, and then your daughter dies. So they ended up, you know, by the end of the day, everything was taken care of, and and they left the hospital without their child to go home on Christmas Day to gifts, to an empty playroom. Just absolutely devastated, as I'm sure you can imagine. She said, when we went to bed that night, just broken, my husband said to me, the first time he ever said anything like this, he said, we need to pray. 
And she'd never done anything like that before, but here in their, in their darkest moment, he remembered and recognized a light that dispels darkness, a light that heals pain. He told his wife about Jesus, and there in their bed, on the darkest day of their life, they gave their lives to Jesus, asked him to, to heal them, to be with them. And both of them followed him, followed Jesus for the rest of their life. They, they became pastors, they pastored churches, and uh, she's still alive serving the Lord. He's since passed away and uh, is now in heaven um, with his daughter. But that's what it is to, to have hope that in our darkest moments, light can come in and bring healing. That in the darkest places of our life, Jesus is real. He's an ever-present help in times of difficulty, times of darkness, times of pain. He is there in a very real way to comfort us, to love us, and to be with us. Jesus is the way out of darkness, and he leads you into life, not into religion, not into, um, not into maybe some of, of, of what you've experienced in the past. He leads us into life. I want to take a moment and I want to pray for you. We're all kinds of different people. We're coming from all kinds of different places. I don't know what you're walking through. You know, why you've never been to church before, why you haven't been to church in a long time, why you show up at church every week even though you don't like it, why you come to church every week even though you don't believe, don't know why you're here. What I know is the, the, when I met Jesus and he changed my life, I know that I'm no better than anybody else. What he did for me, he can do for you. If you will open your heart to him, he will heal you from the wounds that are, are from so long ago. He will forgive you from the things that you've done that you won't forgive yourself for. He will change you and transform you and bring life into your life. Bring light into your life. If you feel comfortable, you can close your eyes, and I just want to pray for you. Jesus, it is not a hard thing to make a decision to follow you. Sometimes it can be maybe difficult to follow you. We... we don't always maybe trust the direction you're bringing us or we can't always see how what you're leading us to is going to be better than what we already know. But I just pray for every single person in here. They'll open their heart to you. They'll ask you to show yourself real to them. They'll ask you to forgive them. They'll ask you to change them. They'll make a decision. They'll tell you, Jesus, today I make a decision to follow you. We thank you that you forgive every sin. We thank you that you, you will change and transform every part of their life. God, you will lead them as they follow you to life. You'll lead them to the place that God will never, ever regret the decision they're making today know you, and to be loved by you, and to love you back. And I pray, Jesus, every single one of us who's thinking about you, trying to decide whether or not we want you, will make that decision now. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. There's all, you know, I would like you to take a step in making a decision in following him. You give prayer, prayer, and now there's more that Jesus has for you. 
And one of the things I'd like you to do, even if right now you're not sure, and you think, you know what, I just don't know if you can help me, from, help me through this darkness, what I want you to do is to just say, you know what, I'm going to, uh, here's what I'm asking for you. Make a decision to come to church next week. Come for the next three weeks. Come four weeks in a row, maybe. We're starting a new series next week called Mental Health. A lot of people, darkness in their life haunts them. Uh, it seems to uh, just be winning in their life. Sometimes it's things that are medical, and we just think this sickness is always going to be here. This sickness is always going to ruin my life. We just, don't, we just don't believe that. We don't believe that darkness can win. Sometimes we have things going in our life that are spiritual. There are spiritual enemies, a spiritual darkness that tries to come, even especially sometimes after you've made a decision to follow Jesus, trying to get you to give up, to quit, to walk away from him, to walk away from everything he has for you. We want to talk about those things. Some of the things that are, are plaguing our culture, some of the things that are plaguing you. And I'd love for you to come back to, to not leave here and not live believing darkness is my only friend and that darkness is the only thing I'll ever have, but to, but to receive and live out everything that God has for you.